Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Well, welcome to Real Cuff Radio. And I'm excited because this evening we have another author, and the book is called The Astronaut's Wife, and it's written by Stacy Morgan. And I'm telling you, you're going to enjoy this book because it, it kind of goes everywhere, and it covers all kinds of stuff. And, and, but Stacy, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great. Thank you for having me. You know, when I first started reading it, I was kind of going along, and I it was it was kind of strange because there's one point in the book where you come and you say, uh, you know, I just kind of want to have fun and let's do something fun. And I had just texted my wife, I want to start doing something fun. And, you know, it's kind of one of those God moments because then here you are going through the book, and all of a sudden the exact words you just said – is being said, and you're going, okay, well, obviously, <laughs> there's something I should, be, I should be getting from this book. Um, well, it, it, we definitely feel like I think most of us in the last couple of years have had not nearly as much fun as we would have liked to have had in our lives. Oh, no, it, it's been, uh, well, I work in the medical field. For the last two years, it's been terrible. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I've had COVID three times. Uh, the second time, I'm telling you, I, it was two months in the bed, and, you know, I really kind of thought it was going to kill me. It was so bad. And, mm-hmm. But I just praise God that, you know, he's showing us, teaching us, and people are starting to wake up more to what's really going on. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not been a fun two years. And that was exactly why I told my wife, I think it's time to have fun. You know, even if I have to go work somewhere else, it's time to have some fun. So <laughs> That's right. Uh, I love the part, you know, I I never even thought about that we were going up with, with Russia. That's how we right. were traveling. And I was a missionary in Russia. And oh, wow. loved the Russian people, enjoyed Russia. So I could pretty much visualize everything you were saying as you were going to Russia and everything else. Because I remember when we first got to the airport in Russia and got off, you know, there were all these Russian guards standing with machine guns just lined up while we're going in. And I'm thinking, what have we got into? And then <laughs> it turns right. out a little they different. Were, they, yeah, well, they were waiting for some artwork that was being returned that had been borrowed. <laughs> so they were all there for that. But I'm telling you, everybody that was in my group had this look on their face like, are we getting ready to get shot? <laughs> so, but the, you yeah, know, the they, Russian people, they were wonderful, you yeah. know? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's kind of the upper ones that we're seeing right now that we're going, what is wrong with those people? But as far as the people themselves, you know, and, and until they spoke, you would think it was, you know, Americans. Yeah, we really enjoyed our time in Russia and in Kazakhstan. And like you said, the Russian people, um, 
you know, they ha- were welcoming. They, we have many friends who are cosmonauts and we have nothing but um, respect and admiration and friendship for all of them. And certainly the current political climate makes things awkward a, a little bit, but um, yeah, we I mean that whole experience was the ability to, to travel and, um, you know, to fly on a Soyuz rocket that we really consider that a, a, just an incredible privilege that we had the opportunity to, to do that. And the food, their food's wonderful. <laughs> it is, it is, it is really good. The skating ring. You were just, we were just talking about that before we got on here, but um, I, all I kept thinking is the last time we went to go skiing, my daughter and me decided she didn't want to ski. She wanted to go to the ice skating ring. And I'm telling you, I couldn't walk for about two weeks after I fell down. And I kept thinking, she's going to say she fell down. <laughs> I, kept, I kept thinking that's what you're going to say, but it, it, yours turned out a lot better than mine did. So, but yes. it, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think when we started those roller skating lessons, I had uh, this fantasy in my mind that I was going to, in six short weeks, become this incredible roller skater and be able to do all these tricks and uh, that somehow, you know, this old dog would learn all these new roller skating tricks. And then when I got there and realized that I was the oldest in the class by about uh, 30 years and that it was not as easy as I had remembered from elementary school. Uh, that was humbling. And so, but it was a lot of fun. It was hard. I did take some pretty hard falls and uh, thank God I didn't break anything or <laughs> I kept thinking, Oh my gosh, like if I break something, I'm in trouble because I'm the only adult in this house. And so if I break my leg or I break my arm, I'm in, we're going to be in some trouble here because Drew was still um, up on the space station. So it was, uh, it was really fun. At the end of the six weeks, uh, we kind of had enough, <laughs> but it was, it was unique and fun and got us out of, you know, just kind of this mundane, routine that we had fallen into where it was just kind of like same thing every day, laundry, dinner, homework, laundry, dinner, homework. And, um, and we just needed something to kind of jolt us out of that and, and get us back to a little bit of extra fun, a little bit of risk taking, even if it's like I'm risking uh, embarrassing myself or hurting myself. And so it was great. And so I think back about that time And what makes me the most happy about it is that that was a season that was difficult. It was very difficult. And so my kids, when they look back, they'll remember the difficulties of that season, but they'll also remember that that was that crazy six weeks where our mom took roller skating lessons with us. And do you remember that? That was so weird. Why why did we do that? That was so strange, but it was fun. And so we kind of you know, by being proactive and kind of prioritizing, doing something fun and unique again, you create a, a, a positive memory, even in the midst of a hard season. I never really thought about this until you said something in the book about all the people that, you know, the ones that are up there, um, because they're so isolated. The, when you talked about sending the uh, video you did about Christmas, Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I, I could only watch it once. And then I, and I started thinking, man, that, that's got to be so true because you just, you're seeing everything you're missing and your children are getting older. And then you talk about your, 
how your son was taller than him now and everything else. And this is all in, you know, a nine month period. Right. And uh, yeah. And, and see, we kind of take it for granted when we're here and we're working all the time and we're not home and we're missing life and we're here when you're 4,000 miles away and there's no way you can get home and you're missing life. Uh, then all of a sudden I think you, you wake up and you realize, wow. Yeah. It, that, that was actually one, you know, an interesting aspect that, um, you know, we knew that it, it was definitely on our radar that, you know, my husband was going to be gone for a while and there's this, this is a high risk event. And so leaving, you know, you, you get your affairs in order and you have the conversations with people you want to have. And he talked, you know, spent time with each child and, um, you know, just in case things um, go sideways. But when he was up there and, and his routine was very structured and, you know, of course they have no weather changes. They see 16 sunrises and sunsets every day and there's not a lot of windows. And so every day feels very similar and time takes on kind of a, a different pace than it is back here on earth. So, so his days seem to last a really long time and life seemed to almost slow down uh, because every day was the same. Whereas for us back here on earth, you know, I've got four kids and, you know, kids change so quickly every day. It's like another kid has grown an inch or there's a new relationship or a new challenge at school. Or I mean, everybody's just changing in with four kids with two teenagers and two tweens. And it was just a lot of, of change. And it, it was even hard for me to keep up. And I was living with them. 24 seven pretty much. And so I really hadn't considered how that would feel to him. So from his perspective, my husband's perspective, it seemed like, like time on earth was speeding up, whereas his was slowing down. And so he also wasn't able to talk to the kids um, very often, only about once a week. And so, and for a very limited window of time. So that added, added to it. And there was definitely a concern of, how is this time away going to affect his relationship with our children as well as his relationship with me? And because life moves on, you know, anytime you spend time apart from somebody at the end of that time, you are different people in some way or another, because life changes you and time changes you and then add children and it takes very little time and a child changes. And so it was, it was tricky and something, um, that we definitely had to manage because he, they, you know, they astronauts do get homesick <laughs> and, and that's good because that's a sign of healthy relationships. You don't want um, people who are just like robots and don't care about things back home. Cause that means they're probably not very good teammates. You know, they're probably, we want people who are emotionally healthy. That's the kind of people we need to do, you know, long-term uh, space exploration. That's the kind of person you want as your teammate, someone who is emotionally and mentally healthy. But part of that is you have strong relationships back on earth, family and friends and your community. And when you're apart from them, you miss them. And so I don't think we quite fully understood that until we were really in it um, and experiencing it for ourselves. And so that was an interesting dynamic, like keeping him in the loop of what's going on. So he's certainly informed, but recognizing that sometimes it's hard to hear what you're missing out on. And so you don't want to kind of feel like you're rubbing it in or, or, or like you're making them feel badly. Um, he, Drew would often tell me that the worst part of his week was the hour after our weekly video call. 
because it was after having seen all the kids and myself in person over the video chat, you know, and then when you turn it off and you're, you're apart from them for about an hour, he said he would usually be in a little bit of a funk. And then, you know, you kind of work your way out of that and you go and, and do something else. But I can understand that. And um, I think that was a real challenge. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the good thing is y'all had the military experience before, and, yes. you know, I remember going through basic and AIT and all that and, and the separation and the missing and everything else. Um, but not for nine months, 4,000 <laughs> right. miles away. That That's a little just crazy. Yeah. So. There were a lot of similarities to military deployments we'd done in the past. Um, a couple um, big differences that I hadn't really anticipated would be such a big deal um, was the, you know, his days were so structured that there was very limited time when he could call during the day. And so in deployments, he tended to have a lot more flexibility in when he could call and he could try to match it for when it worked for our kids who were much younger for those military deployments. Also in space, when he would call, it was always at the worst hour of the day between four and 5 PM because the space station operates off of Greenwich mean time. So as any parent knows between four and 5 PM, the worst hour of the day after school, homework, pickups, drop off practices, all the things. And then somebody's calling you and wanting to have a, um, a meaningful conversation from space. That's not, that's not really going to happen very well. So that was challenging. And then, but I think the biggest difference between um, space, missions and uh, combat mission was that, you know, when he would deploy, I knew he was doing dangerous things. I knew, you know, you'd know from what you saw in the news or he might say, hey, I'm not going to be able to call you for the next few days. And so you knew that meant something was going to happen, probably something dangerous was going to go on. But I didn't experience it in real time. I didn't watch it live. Whereas for space stuff, the, the highest um, times of risk are launch landing and spacewalking, all of which is, you know, broadcast live over the internet for the world to watch. And so, um, you know, whether it was standing in that field in Kazakhstan for the launch or watching from home or mission control for spacewalks or the landing, realizing like, my, you know, my, my goodness, I'm watching this high risk, like I'm watching my husband do this very high risk thing. And if it goes poorly, I will be experiencing it at the same time as the rest of the world. The rest of the world will be watching with me. And so I won't get kind of a private moment to hear about it first. I will be experiencing it as they experiencing it. And that, that adds a, a level of stress um, to, and just kind of a little bit of anxiety to each of those moments that, that we didn't have during combat deployments. One thing that both me and my mother noticed is you either took really good notes or you have a really good memory because you went to such detail on everything. Thank you. I do think I, I have some, uh, I'm not a great journaler, but I do keep some notes about things. I do keep good day planners. So I was able to go back and see, you know, when did I do those things? But I think uh, I have kind of the brain of a storyteller. So I tend to, um, remember events as if it's a story that I want to recount in the future. And so that definitely served me well when it came time to write it all down. Okay. So Sandra, do you want to ask a couple questions? 
Yes, I guess I did. Uh, from the beginning of the book, when y'all met at West Point, mm-hmm. and then when you got going, did you really believe that that was the for your life? Did you already feel? I knew you both knew the Lord, and yes, but did you feel that was you were going all of the time in the right direction? Did you ever question it or? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think it definitely by meeting when we were both cadets at West Point and uh, we actually, you know, met in a uh, a Christian club at West Point. So we kind of those were two huge pillars there that we knew we had in common. We had our common faith and our common, um, you know, goal of service to the country in the military. And so that was those are two really big foundations to, to build on. And so I do feel like I have a little bit of an advantage that um, that some you know military spouses don't don't have coming into a marriage where you have to kind of learn what this military thing is all about. I mean, I knew because I was in it with him, and so that has really helped. Like we never really questioned um, when I met him. I knew he was going to be a career army officer. <laughs> I knew it, and he he knew it too. And um, while I didn't become an army officer. We joke that as the, the Army's gotten a lot more years out of me as um, a spouse than they ever would have gotten out of me as an officer. But we both knew it was just intrinsically from the very beginning, yeah, that we are going to serve our country in this way together as a team. And um, he would be the first to say, and I would have to agree, that for him, transitioning over uh, to becoming an astronaut, even though he is still an active duty Army officer, is just another way to serve. And so he's, you know, he is, he, as he will say in every interview, he is a, a soldier first, then a physician, then an astronaut in that order. And so it's always been service just in kind of a different way in these different seasons of our lives. When you mentioned Team Terrible and Team Terrific, I was reading that and thinking, and then when I turned the next page, you had the answer right there. Would you talk about that? Sure. Well, I think, you know, there's this real tendency, and I've, I've noticed it as social media has become more popular over the years, um, that, uh, you know, everybody, you have people who just want to portray their lives as being amazing and just like on vacation all the time and everything's wonderful. My kids are perfect and my marriage is fantastic and, you know, all these things. And then you have other people who, um, everything in life is just terrible. It's just, you know, I'm so, I can't get anything right. Everything's just, and, you know, and the truth is you really don't want to spend time with either of these people. They're both difficult types of personalities to hang out with because I think intrinsically we know that neither of those is really true. No one's life is perfect and, you know, Instagram perfect. And truthfully, no one's life is absolutely horrible, terrible 100% of the time. Most of us live in the middle and it's, but we kind of want to pick a narrative and make our life kind of fit into this narrative. My life is awesome or my life is terrible. And I've learned through all these different seasons of my life that, you know, the truth is that it's both at the same time. Like you can say, I am, um, I, I'm living, I have a great life, but this season is hard, you know, or this is an incredible opportunity, but there's also these challenges in it. Or um, I fully support the mission, but I'm lonely. 
And at those two things, they all can exist in the same place at the same time. And that verse from Ecclesiastes, you know, the classic, there is a season for everything under heaven, and it lists all those really beautiful contrasts, you know, dancing and mourning and building and tearing down and um, reaping and sowing and all those things that are, you know, we think of as so opposite. But that verse uh, so beautifully just illustrates that there, yes, there are seasons, but they all fit together in this bigger plan for your life. And if you try to just focus on the dancing and you never mourn, that's not really, that's not what God wants for you. That's not a whole life. And the same thing is he doesn't want you to just be mournful all the time. Sometimes he wants you to dance. And so when you kind of let go of trying to force your life into one of these like black or white, good or bad narratives, and instead say, I can be in an, in an incredibly blessed life and it still have hard things about it. Or I can have a really challenging season that I'm in right now and there still be good things in it. Um, it really helps you regain your perspective and, um, and stop faking it. <laughs> I think a lot of people are really faking it. And it's exhausting. It's really exhausting to try to keep that up all the time. And so that's my hope. When somebody reads that, they realize like, you know, I've been wasting a lot of time and energy trying to pretend like my life is, is something it's not. You know, God has created me for this full life. And by full, that means good and bad rain and sun. And like, why am I fighting this? Why can't I just accept this is how life is? This is how God made me. And he wants all of this for me. Stacy, that's well, good. Todd, Todd and I were both touched about the one where a neighbor's light was on yes. for a few days. And then how you got out of your comfort zone to go over and, and tell us, tell us about that. Sure. So, um, I love that story. It's a good friend of mine. We were neighbors. She just had a baby. Her husband was deployed. This was baby number five. And to make a long story short, people can read the chapter (laughs) for the full story. Um, I knew something was wrong in my gut, as you do when when you're doing life with a good friend. And I felt like God was prompting me to do something. And honestly, I hesitated for a couple weeks because you know, our culture values independence, and I did not want to insult her. She was a former Marine, for goodness sakes. Like, you know, I thought if I go over there and I say, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like maybe you need some help or something's going on. She's like, I thought she might be insulted. I thought it might ruin our friendship. And so I, I hesitated. And I'm so thankful God did not let me off the hook because so often, you know, we hesitate. God invites us into things. And, you know, he gives us the choice of whether or not we want to jump in. And if we don't, you know, the opportunity moves on. And we just have lost out on an opportunity to do something amazing with God. In this case, God did did not let me go. He kept kind of putting these little red flags in front of me. until finally one day I got the courage to go over there and just say, hey, I love you. I feel like something's going wrong. I don't know what it is, but I want, I want to be your friend in, in a real way. And how can I help you? And she, she um, was super vulnerable and, and honest about how life had just become overwhelming with this new baby, with the other four kids she had. Um, she was drowning. She really was drowning. And I was kind of catching her right before she went off the cliff. And so between myself and another friend who also lived 
right there in this little cul-de-sac we lived on. Um, we stepped into her life. She, we asked her, do you want us to step in and help you in this, in, in very real tangible ways, like helping put your kids to bed, kind of re- reestablishing some order and some structure and some discipline and some areas that needed to be sorted out. And she said, yes. And we were like, okay, we'll do it. And so that's what we did for several months every day over there, um, <laughs> disciplining kids, making sure the house was cleaned up, um, kind of having a little bit of a second family there for a while, just so that she could regain some margin to rest, to, uh, you know, get her, become herself again, you know, so hard after you have a baby and that's typical, but she, you know, she was just struggling and we knew we just needed to create some space until she could get back on her own two feet. And, and she did. And it was an incredible example to me of the power of vulnerability, because I know when I need help in my mind, the voice in my head tells me, like, if I ask for help, everybody's going to think I'm weak or that I couldn't handle this, or this was my, you know, I made this bed, I should lie in it. You know, all, the, all these thoughts that, make, that try to talk me out of admitting I need help. But when I think about this friend of mine, I think, you know, she was never stronger in my eyes than when she admitted she needed help. And she, she uh, was willing to take the hand that was being offered to her in help. And that's a powerful reminder for me in my own life. Those, those um, couple of months that we stepped into her life changed the way that I think about vulnerability because I'm a big helper but I'm not always so great. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm not great hardly ever at accepting help. Like a lot of moms and a lot of, you know, strong, independent women, we're not so great about accepting help, even when it's offered to us. And we need to, we need to get over that because, um, you know, I, I quoted a, a verse in there about, you know, God talking about being a giver of hospitality and love and care and, I had always read that as I was the giver of that. And that made me feel good because I'm a doer, but I kind of ignored the fact that for every giver, there has to be a receiver. And sometimes that receiver needs to be me (laughs) if I am in that season and that's okay. And that's why God calls us into community so that when we need help, we can get it from friends we can trust who are willing to step into our life in that way. It's also great that, you know, God kept pushing you because a lot of times, you know, especially with all the media and everything else and, and uh, these social sites like Facebook, you know, uh, people, it, everything looks like it's going great in their life and their whole life is crumbling in. And unless God yeah. tells you to, to look into it, nothing ever gets done. And the next thing you know, uh, I mean, I had a friend the other day, he told me he got divorced nine months ago. And I'm like, hey, well, thanks for telling me. I guess we're really good friends. I know. And it's so sad because that's so easy to have happen. And I think, especially during the pandemic, when we kind of weren't able to be physically in the same space and, and, and look each other in the eye as much as we would have in the past, it was easy to kind of put on a a, a a fake face online. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. You know, we're trucking along. I don't need any help. When the reality is that most of us, our lives were very difficult. And for a lot of people, their lives were falling apart. And because they didn't have community, 
they didn't have anybody to admit that to. And nobody wants to air their dirty laundry online or admit that they're struggling because that platform just isn't really designed for that. And that's like, it's so important, like why God created us to be in community. And, um, and that means having friends. And in order to have friends, you have to be, you have to show up in person. <laughs> you have to uh, introduce yourself and speak up and probably lend a hand, helping hand when they ask for people and get plugged in. And when you have conversations, be honest and, and talk about yourself in an authentic, vulnerable way. And a lot of people are kind of having to get back into that uh, rhythm. And, and it's what feels like a, like a, I don't know, an old, old thing we used to do. We have to relearn it now that we're finally kind of coming out of this, but it's so important. I mean, we can't, as, as much as there is certainly places online where you can find community, a type of community, there is no substitute for in-person friendship. Like that's just the truth <laughs> because we are designed to live in proximity and, and, and to desire to have a friend who will put their arm around us and hold our hand and sit with us on the couch and cry with us and laugh with us and do all those things that just, you know, another kind of nameless, faceless person online just can't do. And the main reason is because then you can't fool that person who is standing in front of you. You know, you really, if you really authentically want to be friends and live in community, you got to open up and we need it. We're designed to live that way. And it only, uh, it only hurts us when we don't share our lives with other people. That's just because it's just not how God made us. Well, I don't want to say too much about your book because I, they need to go get a copy of it so they can read it themselves because there's so many stories that you go in and out of. And, and your, your book has a lot of places where you'll laugh, places where you're going to cry. It, it's kind of got a little bit of everything. And truthfully, I think it needs to be made into a movie. <laughs> thank you thank you very much i'll just say you know it, it was really fun writing it um it was really i'm i i am an introspective person but i'm also very much forward thinking so i don't always take the time to kind of sit and reflect and kind of oh this like look for common threads among things and that this process made me do that so that was really really neat because then you can really see how god used all these different experiences and then brought them together kind of in this one season um but i do want to mention that um, I am giving all of my proceeds from the book sales to charities that support military families. So I've been, I've been joking, hey, if you buy the book and you don't like it, the worst thing that happened is you donated 20 bucks to a military charity. But if you do like it, buy 10 copies and get one for all your friends. <laughs> exactly. Because it, <laughs> truthfully, there's a lot of friends that could use this book right now because of everything that we've been going through. Yeah. You know, you talk about isolation. Uh, half these people have probably never been in isolation, and they were going crazy at home during this whole thing. Uh, you can't go nowhere. <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, especially I mean, up in the northern states is even worse. That's right. And, you know, I, when I was writing the book um, in the, it, of course, we didn't know it then, but it was the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> I, you know, I kind of thought, oh gosh, I hope these, you know, when I'm talking about the 
the quarantine that the family and I had to go into before the launch and then on his return, like, gosh, I hope people have context for this when the book comes out in a couple years. Little did I know, (laughs) you know, that all that would happen to them. Now we're all far too familiar with quarantine, isolation, all those things that, um, yeah, before only a few of us kind of knew what those were. And now we are all painfully aware of the dangers of isolation and, um, and, and what that kind of can look like in your real, in your everyday life. Absolutely. Well, she had so many more things that we didn't discuss that to read the book, you'll find out, but I'm nearly 80 and I cried and I laughed and I cried and I laughed because it was so real. So thank you for writing that. Well, thank, thank your you husband so much for going to space. <laughs> I had one more question. What did Drew do for fun when he was in space? That's a good question. They, um, he, of course, every astronaut will say they love looking out the cupola window. That's the big, um, the big kind of all surrounding window they have and looking down at the earth. That's of course, incredible. Um, but another fun thing he did was he would call friends and family on their birthday or on special days. And, um, that was just really fun because who doesn't get excited when, uh, you answer the phone and somebody says, hi, I'm calling you from outer space. <laughs> so that was always, uh, you know, it was always fun to have somebody get very excited about hearing from him. My parents were friends with another astronaut, but they didn't have that technology back then when, when he uh, went up. You're right. They're probably right. in Charles Duke. Gosh, they came <laughs> to our town in Del Rio, and, and they spoke, and they changed lives. I mean, it was awesome. I bet. I've been to Del Rio. <laughs> oh, have you? Yeah, well, it's the Air Force Base there. But the Dukes okay. came for about four days, and we had women's meetings, and he spoke for full gospel, and he stayed with my best friends, so I got to spend time with them. They were really special. Well, that's great. It was like full circle then. Well, Stacy, I would just like you to pray over this audience and pray over th- these ones that are going to go out and get the book, because I know it's going to really help, especially... Uh, well, how about just bring a little more laughter to some of their lives because everything they've been going through. Yeah, I hope it makes them laugh, makes them cry, makes them think a little bit, maybe just shift their perspective a couple degrees and reconsider maybe um, how they're living their life and and um, whether a couple little tweaks here and there could really kind of align them a little better with what God has for them and kind of the grand adventure that they're their life can be without ever leaving the planet. Okay. Well, if you'll say a prayer, then uh, we'll end this morning. Okay. Lord, thank you for these listeners. We pray that in the midst of what can be a scary world that is constantly shifting and gosh, it's just so hard because sometimes it feels like just when you figured out one set of rules, the rules change and everything's upside down again. So I pray that you would um, reach into these listeners' lives, help them plant their feet back on solid ground, the solid ground, the only solid ground that is truly solid and unchanging, which is you. And I pray they'll go out and buy this book and that in it, as they read, they hear your voice, not mine, um, speaking to them, inviting them back into a relationship with you, into a way of doing life that embraces everything 
all the opportunities and all the challenges, the good, the bad, the highs, the lows, um, because that's how we get to know you better. And, um, and that's where our adventure story with you begins. Bless these listeners and um, thank you for all that you do for us. Amen. Well, Stacy, I want to thank you, Andrew, for both serving. And thank you. I, I want to thank you for writing the book. <laughs> thank you very much. So I'm going to say that's a wrap. 